The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Elder P, Apprentice Jordan in the house today. You got to call him Air Jordan because that's what I think most people remember him as. Well, yeah, but see, I the AJ to me is Apprentice Jordan, not it's not Air Jordan. Oh. Air Jordan is Michael Jordan because he can dunk, <laughs> and Jordan over here probably could dunk, but not as much. I don't I think he don't flies. Know. I don't know. You don't think you could die? I, I, I feel like we stop at a schoolyard on our way yeah, home. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I have something to prove now. Because <laughs> if he dunks, he graduates to Air Jordan, right? Is that the thing? So, like, come back next week and, yeah. we'll, and we'll, you'll find out. Yeah, we'll yeah. find out whether or not. Standing it, jump. Yeah. I can hit the mesh. Like, there you go. That's, that's something. Got You're getting there. Mad ups. You could probably touch a rim, I think. I you're a volleyball not, player. You yeah, could, you could probably I, dunk. I, I got a pretty good. good yeah, he could dunk. We'll it see. also helps that you're like over six feet. Yeah, and that like also helps. Five foot six or something. Yeah. Uh, something Hobbits, crazy right? small. I'm not actually that short. I just. I made feel like short. I feel like at youth one time you should have a dunking competition and then like we'll just show up because it's secretly. Tell me this: when you're doing youth stuff at the church, do you feel like this is an excuse to do the things that you feel like are a lot of fun that you want to do but you're too old to do? Yes. Yeah, I feel like that would be like in doing youth ministry, you get an opportunity to do things like having a dunking competition and beating a bunch of kids. Like that seems like a lot of fun to me. Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> funny. It's funny. We're just talking church now on the on the podcast here, but I've never been more frustrated about our building limitations mm. than since I've been doing youth because I'm like, you know, it would be great having a joust, and you're like, <laughs> can't have a joust at our building. Like, can't play dodgeball at our building. There's so many things that I'm like, like, oh wow, oh. never clued into that. Like there's just things. we can't do dodgeball. I can't do things that I want to do. Think you could do dodgeball. Why? Well, it's pretty big. There's lights hanging down. There's yeah, windows. Like there's glass and stuff. And like, yeah, fair enough. If we're fair playing enough. dodgeball, if I'm playing dodgeball, we're also throwing wrenches. Yeah. So luckily, like, I don't think any of our deacons uh, listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> where I just was suggesting that you do. De- and you use the rubber balls, Sam right? Might. Not those Sam. Not the should, puffy balls. Have yeah. you seen the one, the area where I did axe throwing inside the one week, and there's like all the chips out of the, no, the drywall? No, I did not. Everybody <laughs> who's listening to this is like, we <laughs> what is happening what is at youth? Right yeah. What happens at youth stays at youth, Chris? Come on. At youth, we believe in winners and losers. Boys and girls, and it game isn't over till somebody bleeds. Like nice, just, I like it. That's, a, that's a good slogan. That should it's, be on a P, that should be on a T-shirt. I agree. It should be yeah. on a T-shirt. Let's make T-shirts. We should. We should do that one time. The rebels should probably have T-shirts. If anybody would wear them, let us know. Yeah, let us contact. know. So what are good, we? T- good news. Oh, I, yeah. I want to bring something up here. Sure, go for it. We're both still married after the last podcast. Yeah, that's true. So that's a good thing. We've actually had some requests that our, our wives do a podcast. I think you ran that by Heather and she was all for it. I ran that by Colleen and she just laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> she she didn't like that idea too much. Have uh, they ever been on? They like have with, with you guys. Yeah, yeah, they've been. But, but we've like, never had all four of us together. No, like you were on with Heather for one, and I did one with Colleen, or maybe it was vice versa. Didn't you? I've, do I've one done with a couple. I've done a couple with Heather. Heather. Okay. Um, I've done a couple with Heather. I think you've done one with Colleen. Yeah. And then 
yeah, she doesn't like talking in front of people. She's more of a like small group kind of one-on-one lady. She doesn't like the microphone in front of her, but she's good at it. She just doesn't like it. Works out well. Works out well. So Um, we are, yeah. And we actually got a lot of good feedback from the marriage uh, series. So hopefully that helps people. If there's any other topics or any other questions that you had and you wanted us to do one, maybe a and a even episode with our wives, we could maybe do that. I do think it's hilarious that we're going to go from talking about marriage to talking about demons. (laughs) So like... Yeah, somebody didn't think that through. Like we did not transition that well at all. No, there's no relationship between the previous series and this series. (laughs) So when you're doing podcasts and stuff, there's a combination of you want to do things that are helpful for your people. And we just recognize, like obviously at a church like ours, where we place a high value on marriage and family and all that kind of stuff, we were just noticing that this, I thought that the marriage series was something that would be of a lot of help to people. Turns out it was, praise God. Sometimes you end up just kind of wanting to talk about things that you're interested in. So this podcast more fits into that category, but I would also just say, like, I think that there's something happening Jordan and I got listening to a podcast called Blurry Creatures, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But then even more so, we started listening to a podcast called The Haunted Cosmos. So we've talked a little bit about King's Hall and Bright Hearth. We've both mentioned them. So Brian Sauvey, who's a pastor down in Ogden, you Utah. You guys man crushes. Yes. So. Have you seen his beard? It's a great beard. That made it more gay. (laughs) 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 Mista? So he started a podcast with Ben Garrett called Haunted Cosmos, where they just talk about some of the fringy stuff, right? Like some conspiracy stuff, some weird stuff. And I would just say is I was shocked at how popular it is. Eh, Jordan? Yeah, it's huge. Like the, the amount of patrons they have, the amount of discussion it generates, all that kind of stuff. So obviously there's a subsect within Christian culture. And I would even say reformed Christian culture because those guys are massively reformed. So it's not like they're appealing to the crazy charismatics and stuff out there. But Haunted Cosmos got super popular. So then we kept peer pressuring Chris into listening to these podcasts, which he started to do. So then Chris was like, hey, we should talk about some of this stuff. Not because we're trying to piggyback off their success, but because there's probably a lot of our people who don't listen to those podcasts. We'd like to talk about them from our perspective. We'd also like to just encourage you, hey, go listen to those podcasts. Definitely Haunted Cosmos. I think Brian and Ben have great theology, a great grasp of scripture. And so they have those conversations tethered really well to the word of God. Blurry Creatures, I think that they dip into some weird stuff a little bit more so. They, they, they're, I don't think That's they're... That's the secular one? It's not secular. They're both Christians, but I would just say that there's no theological training that either of them have. I would say they're theological understanding. I don't know what kind of churches they go to. I would just say they don't share many of our theological convictions. Let's say that. Fair enough. But they're both Christians, and so they do talk about it. They, uh, the guys on Blurry Creatures were on Ali Beth Stuckey's podcast. She's pretty solid, right? She had them on, and she talked to them and stuff. So there's some great episodes on there, but there's a, there's a whole lot of, I would just say, not great podcasts on there either. But all that to say, what we want to talk about is we want to talk about angels, demons, biblical cosmology. We just want to talk about this stuff. Now, we have talked about these episodes a few times. We went through the spine of scripture and stuff. I had Dominic Nontenant on, and we talked a little bit about the divine council and all that. Some of this will be review, at least in the first episode, but we want to have at least a few episodes. I'm not sure how long this miniseries will be, but we want to have a few episodes where we just kind of talk about these things biblically. And send your questions in. So if there's something you want to know about Bigfoot or Leviathan or whatever, just send us those questions. We can we can do a whole episode just answering those questions if we haven't answered them naturally over the over the past three. I always feel like we should give people longer runway for our question. For yeah, usually days. it's like, hey, we're doing an episode in an hour. Minutes, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's well, and I think there's going to be people who have questions because this is the thing. I mean, like you said, we're talking about this a lot. We're reading a lot, listening to a lot of stuff. And then even in our small group, we've been 
dabbling in some of this. And then all of a sudden we've had a bunch of people saying, huh, I've been thinking about this, or this is a thing that I've been struggling with and how to understand it. So I think there are a lot of people actually who do want to understand this. So AJ's dabbling in witchcraft in his small group. <laughs> yeah. Please write that down. Um, um, no, but I, I actually think that's a good point. 10 years ago, nobody was talking about any of this stuff. Yeah. Other than like some super fringy books that would come out. And then all of a sudden, like within the last 10 years, Forgotten Heavens has come out. The Unseen Realms come out. Spine of Scriptures come out. The Return of the Gods has come out. It seems like a large amount of people from different theological backgrounds. Right kind of reawakening to this. And I think there's a reason for that. So hence why we're here to talk about it. What's interesting is that I'm thinking of even there was a, a scotch and cigar night that we had at uh, my house. All th- you guys are both there. And there was a couple of church members. And I don't even remember. Do you remember how it came up? Somebody asked me about giants. You remember that? Hmm. I can't remember how it came up. And I was like, I basically just said, well, I, I actually think the antediluvian world, the pre-flood world had all kinds. It looked a lot more like Middle Earth and a lot more like Lord of the Rings than... Nobody asked you that. You just were like, guess what I know. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, somebody asked. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, here's what I want to talk about. Um, Thanks for coming. Yeah. Here's what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Now that everybody has their cigar lit, nobody's going to leave anytime soon. Yeah. I have but it was interesting because a few guys in the church who I would say are fairly level-headed guys, like one of these guys uh, is a farmer here in the church who's just a real kind of everyday kind of blue-collar guy. And it was amazing to see him go like, oh, I'm so glad to hear somebody talking about this stuff because I think I think this is the thing. Like people have questions about some of this weird stuff. And, and so I want to start this by basically saying, as Christians, we do not believe in a purely material world. And so the first thing, and this is why I think there's been a resurgence of this stuff with Christianity, and there's another reason for that, which we'll get to in a minute. But I think at the end of the day, whether we're talking about fringy stuff like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, any of that kind of stuff, or we're talking about spiritual things like demons and angels and sort of the embattled cosmos in which we live— Christians ought not to shrug these things off. We have to think deeply about them because we have a Bible in front of us that is just absolutely rife with spiritual activity and immaterial activity. And we know that God created the heavens and the earth. God created celestial beings. We know that there are angels. We know that there are demons. And so we shouldn't be surprised when there are things that modern science and a materialistic mindset can't explain in our world. And I think that too few Christians are willing to venture into those kinds of conversations. It's an interesting thing because we, our basis of our faith is based on supernatural things. A virgin had a child. The Red Sea was parted. The walls of Jericho fell down with a trumpet blast. If you go through scripture, you can't remove the supernatural without removing basically the godness of God in scripture, right? Like you get to Jesus healing people, healing leopards, making the blind see. And what else did he do? casting out demons yeah. all over the place. So it's very prevalent in scripture. And I don't know where historically that the idea of the supernatural realm became almost like taboo, like we don't want to talk about it. And it became a thing of almost to the point where I would say for a large part of my Christian faith and a large part of, I think most guys our age, their Christian faith, this was like an untalked about untouched subject to the point where we just kind of pretend it doesn't exist. We all recognize intellectually that Satan is real. But then we diminish the fact that he's actually even doing anything in the world totally. And so we explain away so many things that happen in our world to be like, oh, it, you know, there was a, the moon's tides or whatever, like, you know, I mean, whatever the, the scenario is. 
I think there's a danger in that. We're unaware, like uh, the art of war talks about know thy enemy, right? So yep. please don't hear me say that our enemy is equal to Yahweh. He's not, but there's an active thing where like the, the scripture, particularly Paul reading through his epistle, he, he seems there's an urgency in terms of all the, the warning of how dangerous our enemy is. Right. Don't be led astray. Even the elect could be led astray by these teachings and, the, and these lies. And so I think there's a something that we've lost, and I think we won't go specifically into what I'm meaning by this, but I think some of their theology, demonic theology, has permeated the church into, into ways that has kind of neutered us to certain things that are happening. Yeah, so let's start with the question, why are Christians talking about this stuff now when we've always believed in a supernatural faith? Because I think that's a that's an important question. Okay. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts not that long ago. I think you were actually the one who sent me this particular episode of Theology Pugcast mm-hmm. where they were talking about the episodes called Have the Old Gods Returned or The Return of the Old Gods or something like that, where the guys on Theology Pugcast, who we love, who are part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network as well, were talking about Naomi Wolf and her substack. So let's talk about this first of all. So like you said, Chris, I think that the materialism of the world that seeped into the church has made Christians neglect this area of theology for a long time. We've talked on this podcast about guys like Dr. Michael Heiser and his book, The Unseen Realm, where he's done a lot of work on this and and his popularity over the last couple of years has shed some light on it. But I think that there's something to this, and and this is what uh, Glenn Sunshine and C.R. Wiley were, were talking about this in terms of Naomi Wolf. So Naomi Wolf, She's a writer, and she has a substack. And from my understanding, she actually came to faith through COVID, partially because as she was looking, she's a big history buff, and she's a prolific um, writer and journalist and that sort of stuff. But through COVID, when she was looking at the worldwide response to the pandemic, she just said, as a history buff, as a person who knows her history and her political history, geopolitical history, she looks and she's like, there's not been a time in history when there was a global, united reaction to something that happened globally like there was. Like We saw countries around the world with different religious bases different ideologies, different political motivations, different political alignments, but countries and nations and leaders around the world who had this sort of united response to this global pandemic, lockdowns, the restricting of individual rights, the peeling away of individual rights, the shutdown of corporate worship, all this kind of stuff. And we're talking about like nations with vastly different political realities different sorts of bills of rights or charter of rights and freedoms or constitutions. And yet rights were taken away. Individuals were locked down. Businesses were shut down. Worship services were stopped and haltered. We talked to brother Tobias several times throughout the pandemic. Actually remind me, cause he'd love uh, to come on the show sometimes. So we're going to talk to, uh, who's a pastor in Germany who is standing up against this stuff in Germany. There was such a small resistance to the state lockdowns of the churches and stuff like that. So we talked about all this ad nauseum, but it's interesting that a, a woman like Naomi Wolf, she kind of comes to faith and recognizing there's something sinister and higher than human, right? That is behind 
this level of coordination. This can't simply be human. And, and with her knowledge of history, she's kind of saying, I know, even when you think about conspiracies and world wars and stuff like that, nations do not work this well together. And yet they did in response to some unexpected pandemic. She's like, no, 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 there's something sinister and something spiritual going on there. And she wholeheartedly threw herself into the idea that these are demonic forces, these are evil forces, these are satanic forces. And if there is true evil, and true spiritual evil, then there's also true spiritual good. And that's actually what brought her to faith. Now, I can't speak for her theology or the validity of her faith or any of that kind of stuff, but she's been writing about this quite a bit. So she was against the vaccine mandate. She was very outspoken during all this kind of stuff. But part of that came from her absolute conviction that this was coordinated by a malevolent spiritual force. How many times have you had the conversation? Like, it seems like everybody's swallowed the pill, you know, the blue pill or the red pill or whatnot. This, like, I don't know which pill people swallow. Um, but <laughs> Well, you can take either. It's a choice, Chris. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it doesn't seem plausible that the people would be so confused by all, the, all of right. this. Whereas like how many otherwise rational, otherwise intelligent people can hear somebody say like, We're, I just use the vaccine as an example. It's not going to stop the spread. It doesn't stop you from getting it. Take it anyway. Just do your part. Exactly. But like, and be completely convinced that's the right thing to do. It just like, and it's universal. And I can't remember who said this, but it was interesting that America was also involved. Cause like you think about a nation that's generally built on just being the devil's advocate in all, in all things. If the rest of the world does it, they go left. Stubborn marites. Like think about like, like logical things. We're on the metric system. What do they use? Like everything, even the road signs, like they do everything just different just because they're American. And I know I realize- <laughs> We I love yards and foot. Like all my, but like there's a very unique thing that happens in America. We're just like, we're not going to do stuff just because everybody else does it. Right. But yet with the COVID narrative, they were like lock, stock and two smoking barrels with everybody else. And that's just, yeah. even just on that level, it felt weird. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, and so I think- um, what was her name? Naomi, you said? Naomi, yeah, Naomi like, Wolf. I think she's exactly on. Like, we, how many conversations have we had where it's like, there has to be something demonic happening with the just the shielding of people's, because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Why only certain people, and it, I would say predominantly Christians, were the only people who saw through this. Right. And that makes sense if we're the ones that who can't be deceived because of the darkness, right? So. Well, it's interesting when you think about these demonic beings, they're not bound by time, at least from our understanding, the way that we are. So they can think multi-generationally in a way that we can't even fathom. Right. So they could have been the same ones that were orchestrating World War I, World War II, all these other things that have happened. They have learned a lot through human history. Yep. They know human behavior. Like they are the master manipulators. Manipulators. Like they understand and know how people tick. They know how you respond to certain things. So that was like a thought that I was having during this whole thing. It's like, they're just no way that this is all happenstance. Like there has to be something underlying. And when you think about these demonic beings who have potentially been planning this thing for possibly hundreds of years, right? and all of a sudden now at this time of COVID where people seemingly all went insane in media, in healthcare, in finance, in law, in the church, yeah, there's precedence in scripture for demonizing, for controlling people, for influencing people. And all of a sudden it seems like there was a moment where all of a sudden these people simultaneously all went insane, yes. at least at the highest level. So you're going to have individual well, sinners and of course, in that but, as well. But, but. but it's interesting because it seemed like every, and this is what you were saying, Jordan, is at every institutional level, like academia, 
right? Healthcare, politics, church, everybody kind of seemed collectively lost their mind at the same time. And everybody bought into something that, as you said, if you were red-pilled, right? If you if you had seen through what was going on, if, if God had given you, the, we would say, the eyes to see, the ears to hear, then it seemed like everybody lost their mind at once. And I mean, Jordan even came to our church during this time, and you would have stories of the frustration of having friends and church family for years that you're like just watching and saying like, I, I don't understand how you're not seeing this. And we all have that. Like at our church, we had people left and probably went to churches like the one Jordan came from. And and that's not to say, like Chris said earlier, these there are some good people who just didn't seem to be seeing this. I do think the veil's being taken off. I think that more and more Christians are waking up to what was happening. But we preface that simply by saying, I think that's one of the reasons this topic is so prevalent right now. Because you look at um, the popularity of some of these podcasts that we talked about earlier in the show, and you're like, why are people so quick to jump on and talk about seriously what was only considered conspiracy theories before? Well, it's because the last three years have seen a lot of conspiracy theories actually come true, right? And so... That's the first thing I want to preface, and it's worth noting that Naomi Wolf was drawing heavily on a book by Jonathan Kahn called The Return of the Gods. Jordan, you were the first one of us to read this. We've all read the book now. Um, it was the basis of the conversation that they had on the Theology Pugcast as well. So why don't you just premise that book? What was the book of Return of the Gods about? And then we might just press pause and do a deep dive to kind of convince people of the biblical underpinnings of this and then maybe pick it up next time. But talk about the Return of the Gods because Naomi Wolf was relying heavily on Kahn's work. Yeah, so it's a book written by Jonathan Kahn. He's a Messianic Jew who is a rabbi in New York, no, yes. New Jersey, yeah, somewhere think, around there. Yeah, in New York State. Anyway. <clears throat> the idea of the book is really going to, I think it's the parable Matthew 12, and he's basing the whole book on this idea that when a spirit is cast out of a person, Jesus says, they go and wander around in the darkness or the underworld, but if the house is left empty, then the spirit is going to come back and will come back way worse than it was before. And so his argument is, when we're looking at what's happening in the West right now, it is following a similar trajectory to what happened with Israel with Israel going after and worshiping these other gods, which God commanded them not to do. And what happened was Jesus, in conquering the West and allowing the gospel to flourish and to expel these gods, we then, in a somewhat realized Christian nation in Canada, in the U.S., and other parts of the West, when over the last, I guess it's probably been 70 years now, where God's law and God has been removed from civil institutions and law and higher education, the house has now been left empty, right. making us open to the return of these spiritual beings. And so Khan is making the argument that these gods that led the Israelites astray, Baal, Moloch, Ashtoreth, they have returned and they've come back in force and it's way worse than it ever was back then. So that's kind of the general argument he's making is that these gods that the gospel and Christ's kingdom had victory over because we have removed God from our worship, we have now made ourselves open to these gods coming back and indwelling and being way worse than they were before. Right. And so that's from Matthew 12, and I'll just read it really quickly. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state, that person is worse than the first. 
so also it will be with this evil generation. And so interestingly, and the point that Khan's sort of making with that is Israel, which you know had God, and throughout their history, there were times when they had the presence of God with them as they were obeying the covenant. But there were times, like when Solomon became king and he erected the high places to all of the, the pagan gods of the many wives he was multiplying, when they ceased worshiping Yahweh and these gods had their way and it led to exile and all those kinds of things. So under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, Israel comes back and they rebuild and they dedicate everything to Yahweh. But by the time of the New Testament, when Jesus comes, Interesting, when he starts his earthly ministry, a lot of his early earthly ministry is casting demons out of synagogues, right? So the religious institutions of Israel had become a place where the demonic forces of darkness were there. So Jesus comes and he he expels them. But what he's saying is that these demonic forces have jurisdiction where Yahweh is not worshipped. And so Khan's book is making that same sort of Christendom was built in the West. Imperfectly, Christian nations were established. And as God has been abandoned by the culture, these demonic entities come back. So that's the idea, but we're going to press pause there and let's just build the biblical foundation because we might have some listeners who say, yeah, Jonathan Khan's a kook and I don't know what you guys are talking about, which is fair. And just as a preface, I would say I don't agree with everything in Khan's Mm -hmm. book. I would say theologically, he and I are not on the same page in a lot of areas, but I do actually agree with the premise of his book. So first, let's establish the foundation. When we talk about demons and these celestial beings, Chris, who is it that we're talking about? The powers and principalities. So... Lucifer, Baal, Ishtar, Asheroth, Ra, name them. Like. Right. And that's what I think. So Jordan and I were just talking about this earlier today without microphones on, that Christians seem far too singularly focused on the person of Satan, the person of Lucifer, right? The devil. And though scripture does kind of single him out in various ways, in the Old Testament, I mean, I think Jordan, you said this just this past Sunday at church, even in the Ten Commandments, you shall worship no other gods other than Yahweh. Several times, you know, the Israelites are commanded as they're going into the promised land, don't go after the other gods of the pagan nations. So I think in our materialistic mindset, some Christians come to those and they say, oh, okay, well, idolatry or these gods of the other pagan nations are just imaginary beings, right? They're carvings, they're wood, they're statues, they're not real. What we would say is that Baal, Ashereth, the Chilions, the Moloch's, the beings, the gods of the pagan nations that are named in the Old Testament are not just abstract ideas made up in the minds of other people. These are real celestial beings that have rebelled against Yahweh like Satan did in the garden. Yeah, we see this in scripture. So the plagues in Exodus, there's an expectation that the pharaohs magicians can do some of this stuff. Like I can't remember which plague it was, but they were like, we can do that one. Like, I think it's the turning the Nile to, um, and they're like, we can do that. And then there's the frogs like, oh, we can't do that one. And then fast forward to Kings, the prophets of Baal, literally the prophets of Baal, they show up and like Elijah mocks them, but like they wouldn't have shown up if they knew they couldn't have done any of these things, which shows us a couple things. One that obviously God is, God and he's creator God. There's only one of him, but there are people with other powers. And we see this even fast forward to Acts, Simon the Sorcerer. Yep. There are people who have powers that are unexplainable other than in spirits. And even I can't remember which book it says where Paul talks about like test every spirit, which implies that there's spirits that people have access to that some people can use their powers that aren't the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, that's an interesting thing that we seem to just explain away. It's like, no, there is a presence that isn't God himself, but that's allowed by God that are those other demons, right? So, and I would say, like, I think people want to attribute heavenly attributes to demonic things like that omnipresence and, and omnipotence, which isn't the case, but there is a sense of a hierarchy. Satan might be the top of like the highest of the demons that fell, but then there's that next level down that do seem to have power. If you go through Judges, it's Asheroth, Baal, that God is giving Israel into subjection to until they turn back and cry out and he delivers them from those people. We're just missing a lot of that when we read through it. Yeah, part of it, like I said, is is because of the materialist mindset, but let's just put some scripture to some of this stuff. So in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth. And I would just say the first thing to understand is that God created two different realms, right? So as humans who live on earth, we must remember that there are two realms, right? There's the sky realm and there's the earth realm, right? There's heavens and there's earth. And God created both. And he created the heavens full and finished, but he created the earth formless and void. And then he filled it with beasts and animals and and all that kind of stuff. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them as the image bearers on earth to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and basically make it look like heaven, right? So Eden was sort of this carbon copy of heaven. It was showing the peace of God and the rule of God on earth. And he says, now go out and have dominion over the rest of the earth. Make it look like this and fill it with my image bearers. But the heavens were created already full. The celestial beings had populated the heavens. They weren't given a mandate to multiply, which is why when God begins to go through the rest of the days of the creation, interestingly, Job 38 says that the heavenly hosts, right, that is the celestial beings in the heavens, were present when God was creating the earth. Why? Well, because he created the heavens full, and then he created the earth without form or void, and then began to fill it with birds and fish and and all that kind of stuff, and then placed Adam, which means that the celestials, which were created all at once in the heavenlies, were then present as God was creating the creatures that he filled the earth with. So when you have Satan who appears in Genesis chapter 3, it's actually interesting. I actually think that we often just picture an actual snake, but I don't think that's actually... So the word nakash, which is the Hebrew word that is translated serpent in uh, Genesis 3, actually, I think Moses, when he's writing this, has a triple entendre. He has three different things in his mind because nakash as a noun means a serpent as a verb, it actually means shiny one or shiny man. And then as an adjective, it actually means fiery. So the the same word, which is like when we use the word for and for, F-O-R versus F-O-U-R, two different words sound the exact same. So Paul is using this Hebrew word that has these multiplied meanings. I don't think Satan was possessing a snake, and I don't think he appeared as a snake. I think he was this great serpentine, angelic being. I think he's far closer to a dragon than anything else. I think when you get that, you're getting a picture of what celestial beings look like as they come onto earth and rebel. I'm not even fully convinced this might be getting into fringy, possibly heretical things before you anticipated us doing, Chris. I'm not even convinced that Satan is more powerful than all the other celestial beings. I think there's some street cred that comes with being the first one to rebel and the first one to cause God's image bearers to rebel in Eden. And I think that because of that, there is a hierarchy and he's sort of got some street cred there. But regardless, I just don't think scripture speaks clear on that. It's got some street cred. I think so, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Two things. Some people do say four and four different. Like I say four and then foe. (laughs) But is it Heiser that says that he actually thinks the reason for the fall is that God gave them the dominion mandates. He gave 
ownership of the of the earth to Adam and not to yeah. Satan. Is, is that Heiser that says that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like, it, but when you're thinking it in that terms, like if you have pride and you think I deserve and I'm entitled and all of a sudden the lesser being gets right. given to something you, like it does make sense in that term. If you're thinking about that way, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but right, right. it is an interesting thing that that after the mandate is given is when the dragon comes down and, and right. try and perverts what, yeah. what was happening. So. Yeah, absolutely. Even the we, so theologians will often fight over this, right? Let us make man in our image. Well, who is the we, right? So some some scholars think, many Jews would put it this way, that the we there is a royal we, that sometimes royalty will talk about themselves in plural form to signify importance. But that doesn't seem to work because the create is also, let us make, the make is also plural. But the other thought is, well, that's Trinitarian language. Well, then you have to wrestle with the idea of why do no Jews believe in a Trinity then, right? So they have a way of getting around the, the plurality of let us make man in our image. So what many think is because God created a divine council to help him rule, that he's talking about that we there. He's talking to his council. He's saying, let us go down. But then interestingly, just so everybody knows that I'm not actually a heretic, when it says, and God made them, then it switches to the singular. So it's not that any of these celestial beings, these lesser gods, had creative power to create. It was that God included them, but then God did the actual creating work himself. So then if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 6, Genesis 6 starts with this idea, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took them as their wives, any that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide a man forever for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So you have a couple things there. Interestingly, if you read through the book of Genesis, there's two different phrases that signify intercourse. One of them is, and he knew, right? So Adam knew his wife Eve, right? And then Jacob knew Rachel. And that knowledge implies a sort of marital intimacy that creates life. The other phrase is went into, and that's often used when it's more forced upon or it's a unsanctioned union of any kind. So what you have here, the sons of God, the Ben Elohim, is a phrase that's used throughout the scriptures always to signify celestial beings, right? Some sort of divine celestial being. Think about Job 1 and Job 2 when it says that the sons of God came, right? Where did they come? Well, the first scene in the book of Job is in the throne room. So they came before the Ancient of Days. They had access to heaven. And it says the sons of God came and presented themselves before the Ancient of Days. The sons of God is a phrase that means these celestial beings. And it's interesting because there is an interpretation of this where the sons of God are simply the godly line of Seth and the daughters of men are the ungodly line of Cain. And so you have this sort of intermarriage between the Christians and the non-Christians, so to speak. The problem with that is, number one, in the text, all the masculinity is on one side, all the femininity is on the other side, which just seems quite highly coincidental. And secondly, when a Christian and a non-Christian have a kid, they don't generally spawn giants, right? These Nephilim, this word is used throughout the Old Testament to signify giants. It says men of renown, these powerful beings. And I think the Nephilim were these half-breeds, half-celestial, half-human beings. The question is, why did this happen? And why did this then 
precede the flood. God, after this, is deciding that he's going to destroy the earth. And I think the reason he decides he's going to destroy the earth is because this is an attack on the promise of Genesis 3.15, that one day the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. This is sort of genealogical warfare where the spiritual beings are trying to corrupt God's plans. And as you said, Chris, if there is a sort of jealousy by these greater beings that God has given dominion over the earth to human beings, and he created the world in such a way that man, mankind, human beings would have dominion over the earth, then these celestials, if they want control over the earth, they need human offspring, right, to inherit the earth, to rule over the earth. And so they go and, and make half-human offspring, and that's what the Nephilim are. Yeah, and it would also make sense in terms of they would know the promise that a rescuer is going to come. So if they pervert all humanity into half-breeds, they can prevent that from happening. So like there's this aspect that demons are always trying to prevent their ultimate destruction. They know theology, they know the story, right? they know what's coming. And so even all their plans and all their things is just simply to delay right. what they know is eventually coming. So if they but if they can stop it from happening and we see this like later, what does Satan tempt Jesus with? Just bow to me. Right. And I'll give you what you want so you don't have to do the thing that will ultimately destroy me. And we see this so like pre-flood, we're getting the demons trying to thwart the promise in Genesis 3, right? Yep. And then there's an interesting thing, and again, I don't know where I picked this up, but some scholars would say that's why Noah's family is chosen, not because Noah himself had done anything to earn it. It's just that his line was still the pure one. Well, interestingly, verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Well, for anybody who has our understanding of soteriology, that verse actually, that's a struggle for us. What does it mean that he was righteous, right? Doesn't God make us righteous as opposed to choose righteous people? Well, interestingly, that word that's translated blameless in the ESV is actually probably best translated as pure, and so the idea is like, is he talking about the purity of Noah's blood, right? Is he talking about the fact that his bloodline has not been tainted by celestial interbreeding, right? I think that's a very highly probable reason for that verse to be sitting there. So anyway, God obviously destroys the earth. Wickedness rises up again. And at the Tower of Babel, you have another united rebellion. So here's three kind of rebellions in the early chapters of Genesis, in Genesis 1 through 11, before you get the promise to Abraham and the choosing of the nation of Israel. You have the first rebellion, which is Satan coming down and enticing Adam and Eve to rebel against God. You have the celestial rebellion in Genesis 6, which is, again, demonic forces that are interbreeding with humanity. So it's this united rebellion again, God destroys the earth. And then at the Tower of Babel, you have this other united rebellion. And how do we know? So rather than going to the Tower of Babel, I think it's important to go to Deuteronomy 32. This is what Michael Heiser calls the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And at the end of Deuteronomy, you have Moses giving this sermon at the end of his life, at the end of Deuteronomy. And in this big sermon where he's recounting it's kind of the history of God's people. He says in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Well, we just said sons of God is used throughout Scripture to talk about these celestial beings. So when is it that God divvied up the nations? We did that in response to the united rebellion at the Tower of Babel. And here it says that he fixed the borders, right? He confused their languages. He fixes their borders. It 
says in response in, in uh, Genesis 11 that he actually spreads out people, that he puts them all over. So he's fixing the borders of the nations. And here he says he does it according to the number of the sons of God. And then verse 9 says, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotment. So Israel is chosen to be God's nation, but the rest are given. And, and when you think about God's law, in God's law, the punishment always fits the crime. So it was the crime at the Tower of Babel. They didn't want God to rule over them. Let us make a great name for ourselves. Let us build a way and a tower and a, into heaven. We don't want God to rule over us. So God says, okay, fair enough. Then you'll be ruled by lesser gods. And he divvies up the nations, confuses their languages, and numbers them according to the sons of God. So I think what you have here is God giving jurisdictional authorities, disinheriting the nations. He's sending his children, as it were, off to live with foster parents. And each of those foster parents is actually a celestial being that God has put in charge over these various jurisdictions, which why then throughout the Old Testament, whenever you have Israel encountering another nation, it talks about the gods of those nations. Well, how did they get their own gods? Well, it happened right here, Deuteronomy 32, when God disinherits the nations and gives them to lesser gods. And you can think about this in a, in a bunch of ways. You remember the story of like when the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant and they bring the Ark of the Covenant into their encampment and they put it in front of their god, Dagon. And then what does Yahweh do, right? They wake up and Dagon's prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. They're like, oh, that's weird. They lift him back up. And then the next day, his head's chopped off and his hands are chopped off in front of the Ark of the Covenant. They're like, we got to get this thing out of here, right? Because wherever God's people go, Yahweh does battle against the gods of the other people. It's interesting. Jordan pointed this out. We were talking about Passover at church a little while ago. And in Exodus 12, when it's talking about Passover, it's interesting because it, it says there, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. So the plagues of Egypt are God waging war against the gods of Egypt. And again, we think through that, it's like, well, that makes no sense if the gods of pagan nations are merely figments of their imagination, why would God have to do battle against false gods? Well, the interesting connection to that even is if you go to Genesis, God put the stars in the sky to govern the heavens. We can trace that and see that that's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. So these lights that are up in the sky governing are these beings, the yep. heavenly host, because it also is the morning star, the sons of God, the heavenly host. But then when we, you know, we just went through the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus is telling them that the stars are going to fall down and the sun is going to go out and the moon is going to lose its light, when he's quoting from Ezekiel or there's yeah, a few different Ezekiel places. 32, Isaiah um, 13. Yeah, so against Egypt, against the Babylonians, like what he's saying is he's bringing judgment against the gods. the gods who are the lights, the stars, the heavenly hosts that are presiding over that region, which we see then in Egypt where he's bringing judgment against the gods. So it's interesting how Jesus is using that language, talking, and what he's doing is saying, I'm going to bring judgment against the gods. Right. And right before he goes to the cross, you remember Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven, like lightning, I think he says, right? So this idea that Satan's being cast down, well, he wasn't in heaven at that time. But what is Jesus saying? He's not saying that physically Satan was taken out of heaven at that time. We know that he was out of heaven long before that when he came down into the garden. What he's saying is that Satan's jurisdiction over the nations, judgment by Yahweh is going to be executed at the cross. Because we've talked about this on the podcast before, Satan takes Jesus in the wilderness and he shows him the nations of the earth, right? And that word, nations of the earth, is the same word that's used in... Um, 
Luke 2, when it talks about a census being taken of the whole world, the word there is oikumene. It's, it's talking about the political realm of Rome. And so what Satan's basically saying is like, look at all the nations that Rome has conquered. I'll give you all of these if you just bow down to me. And Jesus doesn't say they're not yours to give. He's saying, I'm going to get them from you a different way by actually defeating you, by binding up the strong man so I can take it from you as opposed to having you give it to me. And that's when he says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. I saw Satan fall down from heaven like lightning. So I just want to go through a couple because I, I know we're, we've gone long on this episode. So we're just setting the foundation. This is the foundation episode. So let's go through a couple of verses real quick. And Jordan, you just did this on Sunday. So I'm going to pass you my Bible. I'm going to let you go from Psalm 89 to Psalm 82 and walk us through that. Yeah, so... In the sermon, I was just trying to make the case for this, who are the cosmic powers of darkness? Colossians was the text. So in Colossians, it's talking about the rulers and the authorities, which, which is are then, put to open shame, which right? are, that's Colossians and, and just like the cosmic significance of the gospel, right? The, the record of debt that's been stood against us with its legal demands. Jesus nailed it to the cross. And in doing so, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. So then in Psalm 89, where it says, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. So here we see this assembly of these holy ones for who in the skies, again, above, can be compared to the Lord. Important to note, none can be compared to him. That's so right. there's, there's one creator God. Yeah. So who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. So we're even seeing that council, the heavenly beings. And then in Psalm 82, which this is just that gnarly text that most people don't really know what to do with it. Yep. But when you are reading it with this worldview in mind and through this lens, where God has taken his place, this is Psalm 82, 1, he has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Further down in verse 6, uh, well, I guess from 2 to 5, he's talking about telling them that they failed in the ruling of the nations. In verse 6, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So here's God, Yahweh, talking to other gods. It's the same word, Elohim, yep. which scares people. But I yep. mean, it is saying that he is talking to other gods, but he's reminding them that they are sons of the Most High. So they are created by him and they belong to him, but like men, that they will die. And when you read that, understanding Deuteronomy 32, which I just read earlier, is this idea like, who set them up over the nations? God did. And what was his expectation when he numbered the nations according to the number of the sons of God? What was his expectation is that they would be like placeholders. In fact, Galatians talks about this, right? That you're under placeholders and guardians until the time when you're called. And in fact, Galatians goes on to say, right? After talking about that, Paul says, why now that you are known by God, would you want to go back into slavery to the elementary principle spirits of the world, right? He's actually saying like you used to belong to the elementary spirits of the world, and now you belong to God. So why would you want to go back into slavery to them? So God is the one who gave these celestial beings jurisdiction over the nations, and Psalm 82 is his judgment on them for ruling them, not with God's justice or God's law, but with wickedness. And so what are we saying? We're saying that God created the heavens and the earth, and in the heavens, he created a council of gods, celestial beings that were higher than just some of the other messenger angels. We don't know all that. We know there's cherubs, there's seraphs, all that kind of stuff. We don't get the exact breakdown of all this, but what we would say is that God created these celestial beings that are referred to as Elohim, 
right? Gods. Now, there's one creator God, we're not saying, right? We're not saying we're, we're not polytheistic, but there's one creator God, but there are lesser gods, celestial beings, angels, demons, whatever it is that you want to call them that have access to the earth and who rule over nations. And when you fast forward to the New Testament, we talked about Colossians, we talked about Galatians. I mean, the famous passage is there in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness, wicked rulers in the heavenly places, right? So what is that talking about? It's talking about the reality that there are celestial forces that don't like that God re-inherited the nations through his work on the cross and are now calling all nations to him, right? Paul says it this way in Acts 17. He says, look, you groped around feeling your way for God, and God's going to overlook that time of ignorance, but now is the time when the God of heaven calls all men everywhere to repent, right? So now he's calling you home. He's calling you back into his kingdom, and these principalities and powers of darkness are destined to be thrown into the lake of fire, but they are still combating the spread of Christ's kingdom on the earth. And I think even just one thing important for us to remember, like in Ephesians 2, where it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Those are those spiritual beings. Yep. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Uh, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So even just remembering that anything they do is under the authority of Jesus and right. is being allowed by him. That's right. They don't have free reign to just do whatever they want. Like we're not saying that these gods are in any way equal or have power that is beyond Jesus. Like they are under his feet and That's right. they can only do what he allows him to do. Right. So we'll get into this a little bit next time, but now that we've kind of set the foundation, but that's the idea is like even the language, the sons of God, the language in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the son of God is very intentional because the idea here is now these disobedient sons of God will be replaced by the son of God whose name is lifted high above all of their names. And this also just makes sense of some otherwise difficult passages of scripture. Like when Paul says, don't you know that you're going to rule over angels? Well, the whole idea is when it says that Jesus came to ransom many and bring many what sons to glory those who come into the household of god who become brothers and sisters of christ co-heirs with christ sons of god we are now replacing the disobedient celestials that he had originally created to help him rule over the earth and now the church those who are adopted into the family of god they now will rule over these disobedient celestials as dominion of the earth is transferred now it belongs to christ and everything that belongs to christ belongs to us because we are co-heirs with him so so that's the foundation and now from here we're going to go into several episodes where we're talking about aliens, <laughs> Bigfoot, whatever, right? We'll talk about all kinds of stuff from Sounds there. Great. But that's the foundation. So if you have anybody who thinks you're crazy because you talk about some fringy stuff, send them this episode as the foundation and then send your questions in and we'll hit some of the topics that you want to hear. Amen.